Sorry for my raspy voice, but uh, that seems to be my state of affairs this morning. Walk with me as I head to Psalm 19.14, as I always do. So, dear Lord, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen? You know, there's only six questions. Six questions that have ever been asked in any language by anyone anywhere. And believe it or not, no one has ever come up with a seventh question. And the six questions are who, what, where, when, how, and why. And the great philosopher Aristotle, if he were teaching us today, would ask us to identify the most important question from that list. And if you were to say that what is the most important question, because if you figured out what to do, everything else would fall into place. And then Aristotle would reply, why is what the most important question? Perhaps you would say, who is the most important question? Because if you pick the right person in the right place, in the right position, you will succeed. But then Aristotle again would reply, why is who the most important question? In fact, no matter what question you asked, Aristotle would always ask the why question. And that is because he declared that why is the most important question. You know, there are two great moments in a person's life. The first is when you were born, and the second is when you discover why you were born. And that leads me to make one of the most important statements that any pastor could ever make to anybody. If there is a God... And if that God has revealed himself in the Bible, and if the Bible is God's word and true, that I can say with confidence that I know the purpose for which every person was born. Now, we may not carry out the purpose the same throughout our lives, but it's the only purpose. You know, it's sad, I think, that so many people go through life and they never discover or understand their purpose. You know, I was recently with a group of Christians in court. We were all in the lobby just talking. And there was a man sitting uh, sitting there kind of watching us and listening to us. One of the ladies went over to talk to him and started evangelizing him, giving him some conversation about the Bible. And she shared the gospel But he was posing some difficult questions for her that she beckoned me over to see if I could help out with the questions. And as we began to talk, here was his question. Why did God create me? You know, it may sound like a very difficult question, but in light of the passage we're going to study this morning, it's not. Today we are in Corinthians. It's a letter that a man named Paul wrote to a church in the ancient city of Corinth. You know, it's one of the most entertaining books in the entire Bible. If you were to put a book in the Bible on reality TV, this would be the book. 
You had everything going on in this church, from incest to drunkenness at the Lord's Supper to Christians suing Christians. And in this chapter we're looking at this morning, chapter 10, they debated whether or not you could grill a hamburger if the meat had been previously dedicated to to an idol. You see, Corinth was both a pagan city, but it was also very pluralistically a religious city. And animals were sacrificed to false gods on every street corner. A cow or a sheep would be sacrificed on the altars to this or that false god, and when that was done, church was over. Pagan priests had an eye for business, so after everyone left, they would take the fillets, the ribeyes, the New York strips, and the lamb chops, and they would sell the meat to Stop and Shop, to Shaw's, to to uh, Outback and to Applebee's. And that created a problem because everyone knew that these fantastic cuts of meat were just recycled sacrifices. So a debate breaks out. Should a Christian eat meat that he knew had been sacrificed to a false god? Well, some said, it all tastes the same. Others said, but you can give a false impression that you are a pagan too. What to do? There is a general principle in our text this morning, 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24, which states, All things, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his Neighbor, that helped to make some progress. But the question still remains, how do you determine what is good for another person? How do you know what to do when you are not quite sure what to do? And that leads Paul to one simple sentence to give us our one purpose for which we were created. It's the purpose of the church. In fact, In the grand scheme of things, it is the purpose of everything. The reason we exist individually or exist as a church. Why did God create anything or anyone? Here's the purpose. 1 Corinthians 10.31 states, Whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Now here's the kicker. You will never understand your purpose or accept your purpose or practice your purpose until you understand one thing about your life. It's not about you. It's not about me. Now, Pastor Bob and I continually oversee New Hope Chapel's ministries, new and recently old established ones. And the purpose of this oversight is to build believers. And we oversee the work that must be done for successful ministries and for the daily work needed in this corporate setting. And the purpose is to give you all an opportunity to invest in God's work. We oversee the teaching of God's word for all ages. And the purpose is for all to learn God's heart, ways, and expectations of us. But the ultimate purpose of all of these is to give you an opportunity to focus on God's glory 
and thereby achieve God's purpose for your life. I wasn't cracking a joke. It all begins with God's glory. But when you see how it progresses, you will understand why you are here and what you are to do while you are here. Therefore, in your outlines, first consider to seek God's glory. Where you want to do the right thing, but sometimes you may not be sure what the right thing is. And here is the principle. You are free to do as a believer what you can do, but you are not always free to do what you want to do. What does that mean practically when we're dealing with meat sacrificed to idols? He says on the one hand in our text, Corinthians 10, 25 and 26, eat anything, eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. But, then he says on the other hand, verses 28 and 29, but if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake, I mean, not your own conscience, but the other man's. Sometimes you should, And sometimes you shouldn't. How do you know when you should or when you shouldn't? When is it good for others? And when is it not? And Paul gives his universal principle that works 24-7. Again, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. What do we mean by the glory of God? Well, the word glory means something that is worthy of complete praise and honor. It refers to the greatness, the grandeur, and the goodness of God. You know, there are things to keep in mind. First of all, God doesn't just deserve glory. He is glory. He's the only being in this whole universe who is glorious, who radiates glorious. And in one sense, he doesn't need us to give him glory, so he will have it. He already does. If we didn't praise God, exalt God, or give God glory, he would still be glorious, great, and good. And again, we are to give him glory. We are to recognize his glory. Why? Because he deserves it. Because he is God. But you don't add to his glory. And when you don't give God glory, you don't take away from his glory. Our major purpose is to talk and walk in such a way that we always recognize his glory, exalt his glory, and proclaim his glory. And another reason behind always seeing the glory of God that we need to remember, because it's not about me, It's not about you. It's not about us. It's not about what we do. But the reason is, it's all about why we do what we do. And it's all about who we do it for. Now, have you noticed? If someone takes pictures of a group that you're in, 
and then gives you pictures to review and to vote for the official group picture, what is the very first thing you look for? You'll look for you. You'll look for yourselves. When we are trying to decide whether or not we like the picture, we're trying to decide whether or not we like the way we look. doesn't matter how anybody else looks because we are all born with this default setting that is self-centered and not God-centered. You know, we're all born with this thinking, it's all about me, but it's not. It's not about whether we succeed or fail. It's not whether we're having good days or bad days. It's not whether we are rich or poor. It's not about whether we are healthy or sick. It doesn't even matter if we live or die. It's all about glorifying God no matter what is going on around us, behind us, before us, or above us. Anyway, anywhere, anyhow, whenever, wherever. We are to glorify God. The biggest question with God is always going to be, why? Our biggest question is usually, what? Our biggest question is about method. God's biggest question is about motive. For example, If I give financially to the church so I can get a tax deduction, God writes down zero. If I preach a great sermon so people will pat me on the back and tell me what a great preacher I am, God writes down a zero. If I sing on the platform just to show off my beautiful voice and have people brag on my musical ability, God writes down Zero. And that is why every decision you make and every habit we practice, every word we say, every action we take, we ought to see in flashing neon lights before your eyes, before you do it. Is God getting the glory? The question is not, will this make me money? Will this make me popular? Will it make me acceptable? Will it get me where I want to go? The question must always be, will it glorify God? And that includes everything from what you eat, what you drink, to what you say, to what you think, and how you act. I have a strong feeling for all of us that there would be some big changes in our lives if we decided, beginning today, to do all for the glory of God. Our marriages, our families, our finances, our employment, our Christian walk would be revolutionized. Second in your outline, consider to share God's grace. Now, Paul shares how the glory of God just doesn't benefit God. It benefits everybody. The old saying, a rising tide lifts all boats. And the more we glorify God, the more good we do to others and the more good we are for others. You know, when you seek God's glory, 
you will then do the greatest thing you will ever do for anyone else. You will share God's grace. Paul says in our text, Corinthians 10, verses 32 and 33, Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. If this entire passage, you should have picked up something, and if you didn't, let me help you. When it comes to seeking the glory of God, there is no neutral ground, particularly in the way we conduct ourselves in public. Because we are either going to be a stepping stone to Jesus or a stumbling block to Jesus. When you are always seeking the glory of God and living in such a way that God gets the glory, you will not cause Jews or Gentiles or God's church to stumble. Now why did Paul specifically refer to those three groups? Those three groups cover all of humanity. Everyone in the planet is either a Jew or a Gentile, a non-Jew. In the truest sense of the word, those are the two basic godly ethnic divisions on earth. On the other hand, Jews or Gentiles, you're either a part of the church of God or you are not. Paul's point is this. We should never be a stumbling block to the unbeliever coming to Jesus or a stumbling block to the believer in getting closer to Jesus. And they may be offended when we share the gospel, but they should never be offended by the way we live the gospel. And what is the end goal? Again, 1 Corinthians 10.33. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. Our number one desire for everyone on this planet are in those last five words, that they may be saved. Nothing, nothing brings more glory to God than when we share God's grace and people respond to that grace. You know, I came across a name recently that I didn't know or I didn't remember. But if you are a Star Wars junkie, you might. The name is Biggs Darklighter. Biggs Darklighter. Now, if you don't know that name, you should at least know the name Luke Skywalker. Well, what I didn't know, what you may not have known that if it wasn't for Biggs' dark lighter, Luke's story would have stopped before it started and we would have never known about it. You see, Biggs was known as Red Three, the X-wing fighter pilot who was fighting along Luke trying to destroy Darth Vader. And Darth Vader's laser locked onto Luke's aircraft at the right moment, Dark Lighter thrust the spacecraft between Luke and the Imperial aircraft, and he died instead. His role in the movie lasted only 
90 seconds. And like most of you, I didn't know who he was. His small story is an important part of the whole story. You know, in the grand story of life, we are all just minor characters. The main character is Jesus. This movie is not about us. It's about him. Our part of the story is to make sure his story gets told. And when you are seeking his glory, you will share his grace. Third in your odds line, consider that we are to show God's goodness. I know that we were surprised to some extent that there's a chapter division here. Because the first verse of chapter 11 really goes with the last verse of chapter 10. And here Paul makes an incredible statement. 1 Corinthians 11.1 Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. In other words, as the NIV puts it, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That is an incredible statement. Paul was so committed to seek God's glory and to share God's grace that he could say, follow me in the way I live because I am following the way Christ lived. How did Jesus live? Here's what he said at the end of his life. John 12, 27 and 28, Jesus said, It was for this reason I came to this hour. Father, to glorify your name. Jesus came to glorify his Father. And if you think about it, everywhere Jesus went, he was not only seeking God's glory, but he was sharing God's grace and he was showing God's goodness. What Paul said about his life, you know, we should say that about ours. I'll tell you a story. There was a mother from California who told about the day her little three-year-old son was on her heels wherever she went. He followed her all around the house. She couldn't even do the routine chores because she said, whenever I stopped to do something and turned around, there he was, I would trip over him. Several times. She says, I tried to give him things, fun things to do to keep him occupied, but he would just smile and say, that's okay, Mommy, I just want to be with you. She said, he followed me all morning. And after a couple of hours, my patience finally wore out, and I said, why do you keep following me everywhere? He said, Mommy, my Sunday school teacher told me to walk in Jesus' footsteps, but I can't see him, so I'm walking in yours. Let me ask you a penetrating question. Are you living for Christ in such a way that you are constantly seeking God's glory, sharing God's grace, and showing God's goodness. And if they decided that they were going to imitate your life in the same way you imitate Christ, it would delight you to no end. You know, we're asking you to invest in God's work through this sermon. Because when you invest in God's work for the right reason, you are seeking His glory. When you are investing in God's church, you are sharing God's grace. And when you do it out of gratitude for what God has done for you, 
you are showing God's goodness. In closing, I want you to consider this. Most garages have a roll of duct tape because it can be used to repair just about anything. It seems its purposes are endless. Well, there was a study that was done about duct tape, and they found that duct tape does not succeed well for the purpose for which it was created. That is, as a sealant for air conditioning and heating ductwork. It is duct tape. Scientists at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory in California found that duct tape is not a good product for sealing ductwork. Max Sherman, a physicist, conducted these experiments to monitor the effectiveness of air conditioning and heating sealant said, what we found was that duct tape almost always fails. In fact, the failure rate results in approximately a 30% loss of heat or cool generated within the house. Now, you can tape up a bicycle seat. You can seal up the leak of a radiator hose. You can secure a broken window. You can even tie down an alligator's mouth. But you can't depend upon duct tape to fulfill its primary purpose. So don't be like duct tape. You know, we were all created for one purpose, to seek the glory of God, to share the greatness of God, and to show the goodness of God because it's not about us. It's all about Him. Amen. And when service is over, Please continue to serve the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because here we serve the one true God. But go out and be a walking gospel, casting footprints for the world to read and follow. Amen. See you next week.